Welcome to the Boy Meets World podcast. It's officially Super Bowl week, which means you're trying to get invited to a party and trying to come up with the hottest takes at the pregame snack table. I've got a few things planned for Super Bowl coverage and trying to get you all ready for the game, starting with a Philly fan's perspective on the Super Bowl. My Philly informant, Josh Littick, was nice enough to come on the show once again and talk Eagles. We talked about this Eagle season, uh, the joy in sports, how Philly can beat the evil empire, New England Patriots, uh, and a little commiserating about Markel Fultz. Enjoy. Too complex. All right, I am here with my man on the ground over in the great state of Pennsylvania, here to talk some E-A-G-A... Hold on, how, how do I get to do it? It's E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles, is that... Just that's that's how you do it. Okay. There you go, you I got I, it. I clearly wasn't spell. ready. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a spilling test more than anything. I'm here with Josh Littick. Josh, how are we doing? Doing great today, Brandon. How are you doing? Good, good. I was just we were talking before about how you you now represent uh, my my favorite team in the NFL right now. So uh, ah. we are on the same coalition. How about that? I mean, it's uh, what's not to like, right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> if you ask plenty of people in uh, maybe the like the tri-state area, there's uh, there's plenty to not like, but um, oh, true. Uh, most of the nation is, is Eagles fans this upcoming week. Uh, so, first of all, thank you so much for getting down from the, the Greece telephone pole and and talking about the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a little bit difficult getting down from that, but uh, I, I found my way down. Yeah, well. I don't know how you had enough food to survive there for almost a whole week. Um, whole but, week? <laughs> but uh, congrats for doing that, and thank you. Um, so the, the the Eagles won the NFC Championship 38-7. to I don't think anyone expected that. Even the, the most staunch no. Eagles fan would not have predicted that they would have uh, thoroughly thumped the Vikings in that game. But not uh, at all. the celebrations ensued after that. What was your favorite... Uh, Instagram, Snapchat, or maybe even real life story that you heard uh, about the the celebrations in Philadelphia. Uh, I mean, they they were just crazy. Uh, I think it's a lot of people are are pretty. Some people are upset with the way that Philly celebrated. Um, you know, with the fact that it, it was just the NFC Championship game, and they should have waited to do the celebration until the uh, the actual Super Bowl if they uh, pulled out the win in that one. But uh, you know, for for a city that has been deprived of championships in um, my lifetime, at least I've only won uh, my the Phillies won in '08, and that was pretty much it. Uh, you know, this is a huge moment for them to even get to the Super Bowl. So um, the celebrations were unbelievable, uh, and I think the craziest thing about all the celebrations and everything that happened with. You know, the Vikings fans being upset with the way that people treated them, uh, that there was zero arrests made in Philadelphia, which is unbelievable. I was at the NFL draft in Philly uh, this past uh, year, and uh, there was for, I think, three three days. It was a huge weekend. There was like a million people that went, and there was no arrests, uh, which is unbelievable for Philadelphia the way that you know we know so many people know you know the vet and Lincoln Financial Field and the way people uh, you know act at games but you know I thought the fans did a very good job with their celebrations um, and uh, I, I thought the poll thing was 
hilarious. You brought it up before. I thought it was amazing uh, that the police uh, decided to grease the poles up with Crisco and uh, um, just, to make sure that nobody climbed up them. Just phenomenal <laughs> self-awareness um, or, oh, yeah. or civic awareness by, by the Philly PD department. And then, and then there were people that like figured out a way to get up the pole despite the Crisco. It was like... It was like, well, uh, I mean, it's greased up, but I still, uh, they were like, I still think I can get up this pole. So they got up the pole and, uh, you know, th- then people probably went crazy. And, uh, yeah, I mean, social media is amazing now because you get to see all this stuff uh, that you don't get to experience by being there yourself. Uh, and, um, you know, there was a, a lot of it. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome. I wish I was there. And yeah. uh, I, I won't even be able to get to Philly. I, I worked the night of the Super Oh. So at a but it's a sports department at the Reading Eagle. So at, at the newspaper I work at. So uh, we'll be watching the game, and that's pretty much it. All right, so. well that, that that's okay then. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think a couple of points there. Just the kind of the the contrast of of how Philly fans celebrated versus like you know the Belichickian celebration of of you know tossing away the AFC Championship trophy as soon as he gets it. I think yeah. that's kind of what this boils down to is you just kind of have this unmitigated joy in Philadelphia. And, and as a, if you were a Patriots fan, you, you can kind of, or you, you've eschewed that joy for like just the, the, the pure, yeah. uh, unrelented pursuit of just championships. And you kind of miss the nuances of being a sports fan. If, if that's your mm-hmm. only, if that's your only goal, um, certainly as a Sixers fan, you have learned to, to appreciate oh, the, definitely. the, the nuances of development as well. So there's yeah. that. And then the point you hit on about the no arrest, similar situation when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, a million people in downtown Seattle flooded the streets, not a single arrest that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the power of sports right there for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing about the whole new England Philadelphia differential in terms of celebrations is that, you know, uh, someone tweeted at me and they were like, you know, Patriots fans, they're not flooding Boston uh, because we won the AFC championship that they'll do. They're holding out for that for the Super Bowl. I'm thinking like, you know, we've only been to one Super Bowl. Uh, since 2005 and before that it was 1981 so mm-hmm. you know we're not like the Patriots where the Patriots get to go to like you know 10 Super Bowls or seven seven or eight Super Bowls and win five of them like right. I mean we're, it's not like that so yeah I mean yeah I wish maybe 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 uh, I, I don't really care about the celebrations to be completely honest for the NFC title because I mean it's a huge deal for Philadelphia um, maybe it's not a big deal for New England because they've been to so many of them and they've won so many of them. But, um, you know, I'm expecting that Super Bowl celebration if that is what happens next uh, weekend or uh, uh, on Sunday and then into whenever the parade is or would be. Um, you know, I'm expecting that to be probably crazier than the celebrations you saw on, on Monday. Way crazier. It's probably going to be the, the biggest celebration in history of the city. <laughs> People- I, I think... Maybe, maybe even more so than when they signed the Declaration of Independence. I, I'm just putting that out there. I don't know. People, uh, yeah, the Liberty Bell is is for sure got to be roped off. Uh, oh, oh totally. They yeah. got they got to put like maximum security like prison guards on there or Prote- something. Protect the Rocky statue and protect <laughs> yeah. the Liberty Bell at all costs. In oh yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> everything else fair game go for your telephone poles just you can't touch those things uh right. yeah I mean, imagine if you're a pats fan you didn't celebrate the AFC championship then you lose the super bowl and then you had no joy in this this playoff yeah. run uh, no, no joy exactly it, it would I, be i can't imagine that life um although no five super bowls 
Oh yeah, I mean five Super Bowls is crazy. It's it's really actually really funny because my family, uh, a lot of my family lives up in in uh, Massachusetts, and a lot of them is from New England. So um, I have a lot. I'm probably one of the only Eagles fans in my family because a lot of my family, some of my family is not sports fans, and then the ones that are sports fans or big sports fans or Patriots fans or Boston sports fans. Uh, so I've been like outnumbered completely this week, posting stuff on social media about the Eagles because I write about the Eagles and stuff and, you know, trying to like defend my team. And then they go out and say, well, you know, you know, I, I said, because I, I, my, my feeling on the Patriots, their AFC title game win, it wasn't that impressive to me mm-hmm. because they just didn't play the way that they've that they used to play or that, that they used to be playing. Um, and you know, my, my family was defending them. They're like, Oh, well, you know, anything can happen. And what you saw is not what happens. And, you know, Brady's amazing. And we've been here before and, you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, man, I can't win. I can't, you know, Uh, no, you really, you really can't. I can't, I can't win. Don't even, don't even try the deflategate argument either because it's, it's a, it's a zero sum game. So, oh yeah, because that's, you know, it's it's not Brady's fault. It's the NFL's fault. It's Goodell's fault. You can't, you can't blame anything on the Patriots or Brady with Patriots fans because it's, it, it never happened. It's not true. So you are, you are absolutely right. Uh, I yeah. have uh, so I'm doing this with you, and then I'm gonna uh, contrast it with a, a couple uh, doing a podcast what? with uh, a couple of Patriots fans that I know that are brothers, and they are they are the, the exact opposite on the poll from from what you are. So uh, it should be good contrast there with, uh, awesome. with the, the Gollinger brothers to come. Um, let, let's get into it a little bit. Last time we spoke, we were talking about the the UW Penn State game. We don't have to, mm-hmm. to go too far into that uh, Fiesta Bowl. Yeah. Um, but you, you called it, you, we talked about Mike Kosicki, Deshaun Hamilton, Jawan Johnson, uh, Big and how players. those, those guys were just going to fill us yeah. with, with Phil Seattle fans with, with nightmares, um, for the third down prowess. And they sure did. Both of the, all three of those guys, uh, were just terrors that entire game. Penn state runs 79 plays. UW runs 55 ended up being a seven point game, but, but, uh, Penn state thoroughly dominated yeah. that game. I think it was an it was an excellent game, and, I, and we totally called it because we were uh, talking about you know, you know it's pretty much the same the same teams going at it like the same way that they ran uh, their offense and defenses and stuff, and you wouldn't really even be able to tell who's who. I think you put up that Spider Man meme, which was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think that's exactly what we saw. It was a very close game. I think that's what we predicted, um, and uh, it was a great one. And you know, Saquon Barkley, who Really, I mean, he's one of the best running backs in this class, and he's one of the only players that pl- actually played his bowl game um, instead of foregoing it to prepare for the draft. So, mm-hmm. uh, and he played amazing. I mean, what a way to go out as a Penn State Nittany Lion it, with the way that he played. Yeah. So, uh, I yeah, think- I, and that really, I think that really will help his draft stock a lot. But just by the way he played in that bowl game. He he has highlights from that game of like you know just kind of the the more the the, re- the receiving ability that he mm-hmm. that he showed in that game I thought because uh, really it was just on the on the ground it was the one run the ninety six yard oh, yeah. and yeah. that ninety six yarder shows you everything the the explosion yeah. to get through the line and then just just being a full five yards faster than than every defensive back that that you know was running at him on the sideline 
that that is a special player that will be hard to hard to replace. Yeah, for sure. and I think I think the one thing I'm I mean I'm focused on the Super Bowl this year, but I think the one thing I'm looking forward to for next season is just watching Barkley play in the NFL with whatever team he's on. Mm-hmm. I'm just pumped to see him play because. If he has any, like, I'm excited to see him play with, like, an, an offensive line that can block for him right. instead of not blocking for him, and then he has no lanes. Uh, if he has the lanes, he can do a whole lot, and I'm really looking forward to whatever, whether it be the Giants or the Colts, uh, which I heard today. Someone's, I forget where I saw it, but uh, uh, on a mock draft, they have him going to the Colts at number three. So um, we'll see what happens. If Maybe the Browns will, will make a play for him as well. So uh, hopefully not. I, actually, I wouldn't want that for him. I like Saquon Barkley, so I hope the Browns don't make a play for him. But uh, yeah. they do have those two top five picks, so so it can happen. Especially that is uh, true. Barkley has a chance to to make an immediate impact. You saw this year with the the prevalence of rookie running backs in the NFL. Just those fresh legs coming in. You have you have guys mm-hmm. who um, have all this kind of raw athleticism, and they haven't taken a you know the NFL level of of um, toll to their legs yet. So yeah. might as well use them. Um, so yeah, Barkley is going to be an exciting prospect. Deshaun Hamilton, definitely Gasicki as well. There were some pros on that team. Oh yeah, for um, sure. For sure. So let's get into to the uh, the pro team that has a big game this this upcoming weekend. Mm-hmm. I want you to to kind of quantify just for the audience here, quantify your level of Eagles fandom. So like how you know how far does your you you, you touched on your familial ties um, yeah. a little bit ago, but how how deep do your do your uh, do your wings run? I guess like how, how long have you been an Eagles fan? Uh, yeah. Any like defining moments from your childhood that that kind of staple you in and in, in, oh, uh, in the green and yeah. white? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I uh, I've been an Eagles fan my whole life. Um, I grew up a Philadelphia sports fan just because of where I'm from. I'm from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, so uh, it's about an hour away from Philadelphia, uh, about an hour and a half. Uh, but I mean, I, I've been a big you know four for four fan for pretty much my entire life. Uh, and the Eagles just have been part of that. I mean, I went to school, uh, and you know, all my friends were Eagles fans and my teachers were Eagles fans in elementary school and middle school. Uh, and the Eagles were good, uh, in when I was in elementary school. So I, I remember that pretty well, but my family, like my, my parents aren't really big, uh, uh, football fans and they're really not big sports fans either. Um, and I'm not really sure how I got into sports, but like, that's just been a big part of my life, I guess. Uh, but the Eagles have always been that team that I've, I've rooted for. And, uh, you know, it's football's not my favorite sport uh, in the world, but I, I like, you know, I like, I love baseball. I love basketball. Um, but, you know, the Eagles are a huge part of me and, and the way that I grew up. And uh, uh, over the years, I mean, I have so many memories just watching the, the uh, Eagles in, you know, 04 and 05 and 06 and, uh, a big memory I remember is when I was in middle school uh, in sixth grade. My uh, teacher was a huge Eagles fan, uh, and uh, uh, and I was a huge Eagles fan. And we had a kid in our class who was a huge Cowboys fan. And I remember uh, that was the year that Tony Romo took over for Bledsoe in his first season um, as the quarterback for the Cowboys. And uh, that was. The, I think the guy, the kid who was the Cowboys fan wasn't a huge Cowboys fan at the beginning of the season, but he mm. became one of those bandwagon fans towards the end of the year when Romo started to lead him to the playoffs. And the Eagles had that one game, had a bunch of games where they, I think they beat him once that year, I'm pretty sure. Um, but I remember at the uh, when the Cowboys played the Seahawks, the Seahawks in the playoffs that oh, year, yeah. the uh, 
the the Romo botched kick. So uh, he he botched the uh, the snap on a uh, I think it was going to be a two point conversion for them to win or, or uh, a touchdown to win it at the end, uh, and he uh, botched it and got tackled for a loss and they lost the game. So uh, and I remember him you know sitting on the on the turf with his hands on his helmet crying. And uh, we went into school that next day, hmm. and uh, my teacher took the uh, the uh, cover of like or took that picture and put it on the chalkboard. We made fun of the kid that was the Cowboys fan for the rest of class, which was awesome. So I I remember that moment. I remember uh, a lot of stuff. But yeah, Eagles I've, have been a big part of me for a long time, and uh, it, this is just amazing. It's so surreal to be in this point. Uh, in this position in a position I haven't been in since I was nine years old. So it, nothing screams, uh, from my experience with, with Pennsylvania, nothing screams like a, having a Cowboys fan in your classroom is pretty common, uh, mm-hmm. or just like some other random NFL team. Cause that's just kind of how NFL fandom works in, in that area of the country is you're likely to have a, a Steelers fan or a Giants fan or a Jets fan or a Cowboys fan in, yeah. your, in your close proximity, despite being so close to, to Philadelphia. Uh, mm-hmm. And then be also taking class time to to thoroughly embarrass that Cowboys fan. Oh, it's great, and I think the 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 weird part about it is, I mean, this this kind of makes me mad because I'm an Eagles fan because of where I grew up. But then there's Cowboys fans who are Cowboys fans because their parents or grandparents or whatever were Cowboys fans. But those parents are probably Cowboys fans for reasons they probably those parents didn't even grow up in. Dallas and their Cowboys fans, they just like Tom Landry or mm-hmm. they like Troy Aikman or something like that. And then that's where that size come from. Where Eagles fans are are, are rare. Uh, I think it's it's rare um, in some parts to be, uh, you know, there are teams that are really popular national uh, nationally. And then there are teams that are really popular locally, like the Eagles, where all the pretty much all the roots are from Philly. Like there are people out in California and that are, that are Eagles fans, like a lot of people out in LA, but most of those people defected from Philadelphia. So, right. um, other than you know, it's not because of a coach or a player; it's because of the city and where they're from and their pride. Mm-hmm. So, definitely, I think a defining moment of this uh, this particular Eagles season was was the the game in LA against the Chargers, where in the I forget what the, the, the name of the stadium is, but it's the... It's like the StubHub Center or yep, something like that. It's exactly. a uh, soccer field. Yep, where the, where the Galaxy play. It's about a 25,000-seat yep. stadium, and it was it mm-hmm. was thoroughly filled with, with Eagles fans. Um, probably, 75%, probably 75% Eagles fans that were yeah, there. Just, yeah. I remember watching on TV and being like, wait, where are the Chargers fans? I don't, I don't hear them. I hear Eagles chants everywhere. They're they're still figuring out why why they're not playing in San Diego. They show up in San Diego every Sunday, and there's no game there. So they they sh- there should be football in uh in San Diego in the next five years. I'm I'm calling it. I'm I I I could see them moving back. There should be a lot of things in San Diego. It is a beautiful beautiful place. It is. Um, I've never been there, but I I would love to go. Yeah, uh, but uh, talking about the Cowboys, who are the air quote America's team, to the to the real America's team right now, and it's the the Eagles. Um, every, pretty much everyone outside of the 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 Vermont, uh, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island area is yeah. rooting for the Eagles. I would imagine this uh, this upcoming Sunday. Um, kind of a funny season for the Eagles. Not expectations weren't too high. I think you know you expected maybe a playoff appearance. Uh, but I want you to kind of compare your level of optimism at the beginning yeah. of the season to to the middle of the season when it was the Eagles were eight and one, um, mm-hmm. and then to to kind of that that post Wentz injury 
period and then and then to now so kind of take us through that that eagle season because it was it was kind of a funky one yeah absolutely at the beginning of the season like obviously like playoffs weren't even on my radar at all because i i had a maybe a wild card berth but my prediction at the beginning of the season and i'm not sure if i put this on twitter or if i put this somewhere where i could reference it but uh i i'm pretty sure i had the eagles at seven and nine this season and um, you know, last year, I think they were or eight and eight or something like that. I thought that they were going to improve off of last year with the weapons that they had, but I just didn't have that same level of confidence on their defense as much as I did on their offense. Um, and I thought that because their secondary just was lacking and, uh, their, their, uh, corners were really concerning. Uh, it wasn't really, I was pretty concerned with the, uh, with, you know, um, uh, Jalen Mills and Corey Graham and those guys, uh, you know, with Sidney Jones not being available. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that the level of expectations definitely changed as we got to the midseason because we saw Carson Wentz really take over and we saw Carson become the player that we knew he was going to be. And he really took over the season. And when he got to eight and one, by I think by five and one, we were we were thinking that this was one of the better teams in the league uh, because they played the Panthers. And that was the game that they uh, they won that game. And it was a good it was a great game against mm-hmm. a good defense in Carolina. And, in Carolina, exactly, and uh, at that point, we were like, I think this team is legit, and then they kept winning and winning and winning. Some of the games that they played were against teams that weren't very good, and I think that's where a lot of people were still kind of concerned about, even when they got to, you know, 10-1, and one. Um, so, you know, the, I, I think that people were like, I don't know if they can beat the, the good teams, but they started to play the good teams, and then finally, they, got, they lost to your Seahawks. And that's when people started to be like, I don't know about this. I don't know. Like, they can't beat the good. They can't. They can beat the the bad teams, but they can't really beat the teams that they can't beat a a Russell Wilson. They can't beat a you know a big name mm-hmm. like that. Um, and then when the Wentz injury happens, at that point, um, you know, with three games left, I, I, we knew they were going to the playoffs as the division winner, but. My my ex my uh, optimism was not very high because I thought you know um, I, as much as Nick Foles uh, has experience I just didn't see him being able to get this team um, past the first round honestly I, I I thought that they could win the their next three regular season games after that Rams game uh, but you know once you get into the playoffs you're playing against a lot better teams I just didn't see that happening yeah it was. Uh... That that Wentz injury in the middle of that Rams game was kind of a, a, a an interesting place to have that injury happen because it was in uh, it was in L.A. It was in a, a, a crazy game against one of the best teams in the conference, um, and and the resolve that Philly showed as soon as as soon as Carson left that game to still come out and win, um, mm-hmm. you know, full Foles goes six to ten the rest of that game just kind of does enough to get the the Eagles uh, you know, to victory in that game. It, it kind of showed you uh, it was a kind of a microcosm of, of the season of going in and having this uh, this stellar offense led by such a, you know, a, a, a force of nature in Carson Wentz. And then you get into kind of this replacement player, Nick Foles, just to just to do enough. And in that that kind of brief time that they had, they're able to, to put Foles in a situation where he, he could he could he wouldn't lose the game. He just kind of did enough to win. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, defense stepped up, and then you've kind of seen as as they've gotten Foles more time to develop and get comfortable uh, that you, he's kind of they've carved out a niche for him, and he's not he's not trying to be Carson Wentz. It's almost they've they've reinvented the offense around him, and that's yeah. I think that's that's the real MVP of this season is is the Eagles coaching staff and Doug Peterson being being oh, that sure. that flexible to to make make uh make that adjustment happen at the end of the season. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a big adjustment going from from Wentz to Foles. For sure, and I think that the you said it right there, the coaching staff. I mean, not just Peterson, but you know, I, I think that you also have to give a lot of the credit to the defense and the way that they played all season long. And Jim Schwartz, I mean, Jim Schwartz has been amazing, and I, he's honestly probably one of the best assistant coaches in the league this season, just for getting that that defense as dominant as they've been. They've been so good. They've been they've been able to to stop teams from scoring I, at, at the end of the year they they started to give up points but then we saw them kind of I mean in the playoffs especially with the Falcons and the Vikings I mean I mean they took down some pretty uh deep pretty good offenses that were taken over the league all season long so um you know and, and of course the Falcons offense uh, you know with Matt Ryan and 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 Julio Jones they you know three three trips to the uh uh, they were in the red zone and they had three chances to get it to Julio mm-hmm. Jones and they still stopped him. So um, that defense was amazing all season long. And then also the running backs. I mean, the running backs, the running game, you know, the Eagles have never really been known for their running game, um, you know, since probably Westbrook days. Uh, th- they've always been kind of relying on that passing game. Um, and this year, just the way that they've, uh, after like week two against the Chiefs, that's when they started to really get the running game going. And then by midseason, you, uh, Howie Roseman makes a trade for Jay Ajayi and gets for a fourth round pick. And you get, which was amazing, mm-hmm. you get Ajayi and Blunt and Corey Clement, the unsung hero of the season. I mean, rookie and uh, an undrafted rookie from Wisconsin, from nearby Glassboro, New Jersey, and he absolutely plays amazing. So um, they and Duke Staley, who's the running backs coach, uh, deserves a lot of that credit for getting uh, a really great. Uh, running backs by committee kind of thing going on for the Eagles. So, um, I mean, there's been a lot of great coaching uh, changes and a lot of great coaching moves this season to get this team to where they are at at this point in the year. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was a kind of a you, you mentioned Roseman there of of bringing this team together um, and and. You know the Eagles didn't really bottom out. You get once at the top of the draft because of a of a trade um, with, with with Cleveland, uh, one of the the litany mm-hmm. of blunders that, that Cleveland has made in the the draft, passing up quarterback after quarterback uh, that is now at the top of the league. Uh, but that's a story for a different day. Uh, yeah. With with Chip Kelly, you go ten and six, ten and six, and then Chip Kelly gets fired that season. You go seven and nine, and then seven and nine in Peterson's first year. So you're not you didn't you never saw that four and twelve you know three and thirteen kind of year right. at the top of the draft and can kind of uh, you know fill up the toolkit again. So how was this this Roseman uh, era or Roseman regime era able to to construct this team uh, without going to the very bottom? Because uh, it's it's kind of a you know if you're looking at a bad NFL team and you want to see it improved, I think I think that this is a or not a bad NFL team, but just mm-hmm. kind of a middle of the pack team and how to turn it into a top flight team. Look no further than what the Eagles did. Yeah, I mean, I think that his uh, uh, Howie Roseman's trades and moves have been very, uh, very like they've been very. What's the word? They've been very uh, cap. 
uh, calculated the mm-hmm. right way. Um, you know, he was able to get some guys uh, and get some, rid of some bad contracts and DeMarco Murray and, and Kiko Alonso and make some trades to get some guys here and, um, and Byron Maxwell. Um, and he was never, I mean, he never really had that. A lot of these teams that have these three and 13 seasons, they don't have a quarterback. They don't have anything. And they, they, a lot of the, these teams rebuild and they get rid of a lot of players and they don't really get a whole lot of great players. Uh, and I think the way that Roseman has been, he's really good at trading, uh, making trades and handling the salary cap and bringing in guys from free agency and bringing in big names. Um, and they never really had a chance to be that really bad team. I think that he uh, is an excellent general manager in that fact. Um, and before the Chip Kelly um, you know, experience that we went through in Philadelphia, Rosen was there making decisions, but they weren't the greatest decisions. And then when K- Kelly came in to become the general manager and head coach, um, you know, Howie had some time to really think about, you know, what he wants to do and how he would go about it. And he kind of was on on the down low on some of those decisions. And then when Kelly was fired, they brought Rosen back in and he had a whole new outlook on what he wanted to do for this team. And he never really saw them being that terrible from the beginning. And he just saw them being a team that would be able to contend. I mean, this Mm -hmm. year, it's amazing, you know, because of you know a seven and nine year. You go from seven and nine to thirteen and three, and you go to the Super Bowl without Carson Wentz, and you know you have all these guys that are under contract until like 2020, 2021, uh, where they don't really and they have a lot of cap space left where they can go and get guys. Um, you know, this team, he, I, it's it's crazy the way they calculated it because who knows what the Patriots are going to be in the next couple of years with. You know, Brady getting older and Belichick getting older. And we saw in that ESPN report a couple of weeks ago, I, I don't know how true it is, but there might be some dysfunction going on in the uh, organization. They trade away Garoppolo, so you lose your uh, you know future franchise quarterback there. Um, and I don't know what they're going to end up doing after Brady because, you know, I don't care if he's 40 years old. I mean, you know, most 40 – and, and he's in good shape. Like, you're 40. Like, I mean, he's going to – he's there's going to be one year where it's just a decline where he just goes downhill. Um, right. And uh, you don't, you want to be prepared for that. And I think that the Eagles, by getting it this way, getting to the Super Bowl without Wentz, you're going to have Wentz and he's going to come back from injury and you're going to have all these players to dominate. And, uh, you know, Howie Roseman might, might be thinking, you know, maybe we can make a dynasty out of this. Maybe this can be the start of something. I don't think he saw this team going to the Super Bowl this season. Mm-hmm. But now that that's a possibility, I mean, you're looking at the future and you're like, uh, the sky's the limit with this team. Yeah, the, the Eagles are, are similarly built to that first few uh, Seahawks Super Bowl teams, I think, in that mm-hmm. you have it, it stems from cheap quarterback theory, which is. If you have a good quarterback, uh, and actually an elite quarterback at, at, at a low price, and, and so Russell Wilson was was an ultimate bargain at just five hundred thousand dollars around that around that range. Wentz right. is making a little bit more than that, uh, but not nearly at the level that you see. You know, teams paying a Matthew Stafford in the twenty right. million dollar range or something like that, where you're you're getting a B plus quarterback, but it's hamstringing your cap. Uh, when you have a, a, a cheap quarterback, it allows you to kind of and a cheap good quarterback where you're in a position yeah. to kind of strategically uh acquire players and you look at what 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 uh 
the Eagles did this offseason and going out and saying, okay, what do we need? We need playmakers, right, on offense. We're going to go get uh, LeGarrette Blunt. We're going to go get a guy like Corey Clement, um, although you didn't necessarily pursue him. He's an undrafted player. Yeah. Uh, but you fix that midseason. You say, oh, we need even more. Let's go get Jay Ajayi on the cheap because we have this flexibility. Yeah. Uh, you go get Alshon Jeffrey, Torrey Smith, you know, stretch the field, help Nelson Aguilar out. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you, you you have a great defensive line. Make it better. Go get Chris Long. Go get Timmy Jernigan. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I completely forgot about Jernigan. That was a huge signing. So. Oh, huge. And then, you know, you yeah. think Jordan Matthews uh, not working out. Let's let's. Yeah, flip. How, how about that? I mean, the way that they traded Jordan Matthews, you flip him to the Bills for mm-hmm. Ronald Darby, a guy who really nobody really knew about that well. I mean, he was a good prospect out of Florida State and he kind of turned into something where he was he was decent for for Buffalo but you know for a guy like Jordan Matthews everyone was like you just traded away one of the best receivers on the team a guy that Carson Wentz looked up to as one of his best receivers and one of his best friends off the field right uh, you trade him away and Wentz was visibly upset about it but he knew that you know, Howie Roseman had a plan and he stuck to that plan and look where they are now Matthews didn't even play this season because of injury. Mm-hmm. So he and he didn't even when he did play, he didn't look like the guy he was in Philadelphia. And you had a guy, you know, we talked about getting players, but um, you get a huge confidence boost, uh, boost, and probably the most improved player in my opinion in the entire NFL this season, Nelson Aguilar, who is absolutely unbelievable. We, if you would have told me at the beginning of the year. And then last year that Nelson Aguilar was going to be one of the MVPs of this Eagles offense, I would have laughed in your face and called Mm -hmm. you crazy because no one would have said that. We wanted this guy off the team last year and we were like, oh, well, we got to deal with him for one more year with that option. Uh, You know, when his option's done as a team option, they're going to let him go. But now you're going to keep him because you're going to you're going to re-sign him to a deal because uh, and and. Uh, get his option going because you want this guy on the team and he's become that slot receiver that in my opinion I actually think he's a better slot receiver than Jordan Matthews ever was on the Eagles and that's amazing definitely much more versatile as well I mean you see Aguilar make plays out of the backfield and on jet sweeps and things like that oh Uh, that's great yeah, it's 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 really a fascinating lesson in terms of, of how to build a team and, and looking at a strength and the strengths of your team and saying, uh, let's double down on those and then let's let's get at, at least replacement level everywhere else. And that's that's kind of how the Eagles are constructed. If you if you you know you're not gonna see Carson Wentz on Sunday, but uh, you know you have you have a stellar quarterback who's who's cheap, and then you you kind of make sure that there's no holes on the rest of your team. Uh, even drafted Derek Barnett of you know. Oh. The, Great, yeah. great talent, but you don't even really, need him yeah. to do that much, uh, or, or, you know, for most of the season because uh, your D line is already solid. So uh, a well built team and something that I think uh, this is no fluke that, that that the Eagles got here when you really kind of look back and dissect uh, the the shrewd moves that they did this season. Definitely, yeah. Um, so that that's all fine and dandy. Uh, you know, it's it's a good story of how they were built. But there's not there's one guy that we didn't mention, and he still fits in the, the cheap quarterback theory. You went out and got Nick Foles, kind of a retread after his St. Louis days had 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 gone poorly, um, and he wasn't expected to play. He's you know he's sitting behind the MVP all season, uh, comes in after that that Wentz knee injury, 
uh, and Philly fans knowing what they had this season uh, coming into 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 the Lehigh Valley, you can see it, or coming into the Philly airport, I guess you can see it. Mm-hmm. Um, the the big "We still believe in you, Saint Nick" uh, sign that's there. Yeah, uh, was just telling of of Hey, we got a good thing here. We're not going to tank this season, or or you know, expectations aren't changing this season just because uh, just because Wentz is out. Uh, what is your confidence level in Nick Foles based off of what you've seen? And I, I, that, that that Vikings game seemed like you're an out-of-body experience uh, for, yeah. for my man. That was awesome. Yeah, well, my confidence in Nick Foles, uh, if you would have asked me what my confidence in Nick Foles was before the playoffs, I would have said very low or, or near low. Uh, and now my confidence has completely changed because I have a lot of faith in the guy. I mean, the guy has been through a lot in his career. I mean, and, uh, you know, he's the ultimate underdog you look at and we talk about the Eagles being an underdog team I think that Nick Foles completely epitomizes the underdog uh name and I think it from the beginning of his career like he was never really going to be anything major and when he became when he went on that run of uh 27 and 2 with the Eagles uh in I think his second season or his Mm -hmm. first I think it was the second season in the league um you know, he was excellent. Um, and that was a fluke. Everyone said that was a fluke year and that that wasn't going to happen again. He had seven touchdown game against the Raiders. Um, and then the next year, uh, and then he was a Pro Bowl MVP that year. And then the next year he went and he didn't have a great game or a great season. Um, and then, uh, you know, by and Chip Kelly came in and decided that he was going to trade Nick Foles after the, uh, the you know, uh, after that season and uh, traded him for Sam Bradford. And, uh, you know, he goes to St. Louis um, and he absolutely is awful for Jeff Fisher. And <laughs> we talk about Jeff Fisher as being one of the more mediocre coaches of all time. The most uh, mediocre. The, oh, yeah, definitely the most. Um, and he, uh, you know, people were saying that, you know, Fisher ruined Foles' career and uh, I would say that because you look at his stats compared to uh, from St. Louis compared to his beginning uh, of his career with Philadelphia and then his uh, one game he played for or a couple games he played for Kansas City with Andy Reid. And then you get the guy with Philadelphia now and he's a completely different quarterback than he was uh, when he was with Jeff Fisher. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, you know, uh, the way that we've seen Foles play this season at the beginning of the year uh, against the Giants, he played well, where he had four touchdowns or, or, or whatever. And then before that, it was against the Rams at the end. And we mentioned that at the beginning of the uh, of the podcast, talking about you know he he was six for ten and he really was able to come in and, and help the team out. Um, but you know, I, I think my confidence in Nick Foles is is pretty big, and uh, at this point, because there are a lot worse backup quarterbacks out there, and uh, I mean obviously, and I. You know, I, I think that a lot of people were wondering if Nick Foles' health was going to be a factor because he has been injured for a lot of his career. Um, and if Foles did go down, who were they going to turn to? Because if Foles gets hurt in the Super Bowl at the beginning of the game or something like that, um, and you have to put in uh, Nate Sudfeld, I, I'm not really confident in that. Mm-hmm. But I am confident in that this team – is more than the quarterback. And I think a lot all season long it's been, you know, Carson Wentz led them here. Carson Wentz brought them here. And I think that Wentz is a huge part of it. And he made big plays that other players uh, didn't make. But this team is built, like we said, it's built to win. And I think with 
even without if if you had to go with Nate Sudfeld for three quarters in the Super Bowl, I, I, I still think you'd have a chance because I think this this running game, this defense would be able to help you out. Mm-hmm. But my confidence in Nick Foles is pretty high. Yeah, it's uh, it it really is a, a fascinating story, and I think that you know we we talked about Roseman and and uh, you know kind of the kind of the unsung heroes of this season. Mm-hmm. I think you could point to if you if the Eagles end up winning a Super Bowl, that I don't know if you can give a an MVP trophy to a bye week, um, but yeah. that that week after the Dallas Cowboy Week Seventeen game where you lose six nothing, the offense looks miserable, mm-hmm. uh, and then going into the Atlanta game where it wasn't like the offense was on fire. But that bye week was everything in terms of getting Foles mentally oh, and and, and and schematically ready. I was, I was re- scared. I oh. was I, I was scared after that Dallas game because I saw the six nothing and uh, I was watching. I, I watched the whole game and that was probably one of the worst games I've ever watched in my entire life. Uh, and it was cold. I remember and Foles was just he looked miserable out there. He just looked uncomfortable yep. and that scared me because people were like, "Oh, well, you guys have home field advantage." And while that's great and everything throughout the playoffs. Like, if you have a quarterback who struggles in the cold, in a cold weather place, like, that's not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't even matter if you're uh, the home quarterback. If you're the home quarterback and you can't, you know, if you crumble under the pressure of how brutally cold it is outside uh, in the playoffs, going up against quarterbacks that are better than you, that's not going to be uh, mm-hmm. a good result. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting point because Foles is, is originally from Texas and then went to college at Arizona. And even even kind of thinking back to his, his wonder year for Chip Kelly, a lot of those games were uh, those September, or October, or early season games where yeah. the weather's nice and, and you know everything's fine and dandy, but how good are you towards the end of the season? So uh, that's that's another thing. But yeah, getting getting Foles, and, and I was just reading about how they, they kind of went back to why he was so successful with Chip Kelly that season and instituted some of the, the plays from yeah, from those days say, yeah. into into the game plan against against Atlanta and then also uh, against Minnesota. And you know, again, that's just a that's a that's a coaching staff that just gets it and understands we're not gonna we're not gonna fit a square peg in a round hole here. We're gonna make Nick Foles feel as comfortable as possible. Right. Put and, him in the I- best situation to, to succeed. And I think Nick Foles, his success is completely dictated upon, you know, his confidence in himself. Like, if he's confident in himself and he's confident that he can get it done, like, that's all that matters at this point. Because, you know, it doesn't really matter if anybody else has confidence in him. He needs to be confident in himself because if he's not confident in himself, he's not going to be successful. He's going to mess up. He's going to psych himself out. He's not going to be able to to do his job to the best of his ability. Um, and I think that by having teammates that lean on him and, you know, Carson Wentz isn't dead, like they have him on the <laughs> sidelines. So he's there, um, you know, he's got the headset on, he's yeah. got that confidence in, uh, Carson Wentz where you have Wentz talking to him and, 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 you know, asking and, you know, seeing, you know, what's out on the field, what do you see and kind of working together. It's a team, you know, football is, a, is the ultimate team sport. It's, right. it's all about all these parts working together and, you know, you know, Foles isn't out there alone. So if he's not feeling confident, then, you know, you got your teammates around him to kind of get that confidence back up. And I think the Eagles are, you know, you got Brian Dawkins, who's there as well, who's been helping out this team. And you have these these team leaders and captains that get this team pumped up. I think Philadelphia fans can be 
at rest to know that the Eagles are in good hands with their teammates and with the players that they have and the personnel because they can get this team, uh, you know, this confidence in this team is at an all-time high. I mean, it's huge right now. The way that they are feeling out on the field, the way that they are playing the game and getting ready for this New England game, I think they're going to be in really good hands. We're going to see a very confident bunch out there. Yeah, it's it's definitely a well-oiled machine uh, in terms of the kind of the team build, but then it, just the, the, the chemistry. I was listening to a, to a podcast talking about, you know, why is Carson Wentz on the field? He should be up in the booth. There's no reason for him to be on the field. Uh, he can't. He can't have a face-to-face conversation with Nick Foles after that first drive uh, yep. against against the Vikings and get him mentally ready to go back in that game. You know, thirty-eight to seven. You, you look at that, but after those first two drives of of Minnesota marching straight down the field and then uh, Philly going three and out right to start the the, the next drive, right. it, it looked grim. In in like the announcers were even saying how how quiet it was there. Uh, but but who was there to help weather the storm? It was you know the, the quarterback who could easily say um, you know I, I'm on crutches. I'm going to stay up in the nice warm norm owner suite up there. So mm-hmm. uh, it it is it is definitely a, a quantitatively um, you know objectively good team. But you kind of look in between the lines of how how the Philly the the Eagles operate and, and just kind of the. the the body language and things like that. You got you know great locker room guys like Chris Long and. Uh, and, th- and things like that. It, it just looks like a team that is that is poised to do something special on Sunday. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so getting into the game itself, let's you know the, against New England. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I was going to ask, can Philly win? I think we're both of the, of the opinion that that yes, they, they certainly can. If if it happens, how is it going to happen? What 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 is Philly going to do? Uh, in a potential win um, to, to, to beat New England and, and get the first Super Bowl uh, in Philly history? Yeah, well, I mean, they got to play all the all the ways that they've been playing all season long. They got to play it, uh, you know, 100% well, and they got to, they, they can't be complacent. I think this kind of goes hand in hand with the question you had above about uh, what scares me most about New England. I, I For me, it's got to be Tom Brady. It's got to be this, this, this offense because they have the potential to really get the big plays going. You know, this this team, this New England team, is different than their past uh, Super Bowl teams in the fact that, you know, they are banged up and they have some, a lot of injuries. Um, and I just don't think they're as composed as some past teams. So I think that that kind of will play into the Eagles' advantage where I think the Eagles actually have a chance to win this one because I just don't think this Patriots team is as good. I mean... That game against Jacksonville, they they won 24-20, but they were down 20 to 10 going into the fourth quarter to the Jags, a a major major underdog team, mm-hmm. um, at Gillette Stadium in the AFC Championship game, which is something that you know hardly ever happens where the the Patriots are not are are, are getting outplayed by a team at Gillette Stadium, let alone an underdog. So um, you know that kind of you know, makes me a little more comfortable with the fact, but you know, you get Tom Brady in a Super Bowl, and you know, this is where he thrives. This is the kind of moments that he kind of, you know, he really succeeds in. And my, you know, I think that the Eagles really need to be careful with giving up those big plays because you saw last year against the Falcons in the Super Bowl for the Patriots, where they were down. Uh, 28 to three going into halftime, and then they absolutely turn it on. The Eagles cannot give up on defense. They got to keep playing their game throughout the entirety of the game, all four quarters, and make sure that they get 
the, they capitalize on, on, on plays. They, they, you know, if they get a turnover, you capitalize on that turnover by working the short field and getting the touchdown or getting the, the mm-hmm. getting those three points from Jake Elliott. Um, you know, this, this is a very important game for them, obviously, but going up against new England in the super, I would have been way more comfortable going up against Jacksonville in the super bowl. But going up against New England, you cannot make a mistake because Bill Belichick is an incredible coach of, of game planning against your mistakes and pretty much taking whatever you are successful at and kind of shoving it in your face and saying, you're not doing this against us. And the Eagles cannot let up. Mm-hmm. Um, they can win this game. It's possible. I think they have a chance to win. And you know, all those media heads, all those national figureheads out there are saying that there's no chance the Eagles can win this game. But I say that they have a chance because I think that you know this team has got to this point because of the way they have dominated great teams. They've they've been able to beat teams pretty bad this season, um, and they have the chance. And we saw that against Minnesota. There was no way anybody had them winning thirty-eight to seven against the best defense in the league. And if they can do that, I I, I think that the Patriots' defense isn't that great. I think if your mm-hmm. offense plays well and you get the run game going, which is going to be really huge, you have a chance to get those uh, those scores. And if you are able to, um, you know, you know, Tom Brady's going to have a good game. He's going to have a great game because he always has a great game. But if you can, um, you know, be the one that finishes out on top in the end, that's going to be great, and that's going to be the key. Yeah, I think if if you were to ask Bill Belichick candidly of, of how many how many players on that Vikings defense he would prefer to have than than the guys he has on his eleven, uh, he would take up to six, maybe even closer to eight of those of those uh, Vikings starters. So talent wise, I think I think uh, you know Minnesota was a much more uh, capable defense than than what. Uh, New England has New England's defense is kind mm. of this this patchwork thing where you know you're yeah. getting you're getting James Harrison not not because you want a, 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 a intel on the Steelers it's because you legitimately need a, a close to 40 year old pass right. rusher um, so it's it's not a team that that is filled with studs and and it's kind of just this schematic based defense Matt Patricia um, yeah is, is oh yeah right there. Uh, yeah that's what I was gonna say I was gonna say that the Patriots defense really isn't good based on their personnel they're really good because of, they have a great defensive coordinator and matt patricia and the way that he game plans he's a smart dude i mean he's from i think he went to rents uh Rensselaer, uh polytechnic school for aeronautical engineering or something like that wow um, i had no idea which is amazing and he's a defensive coordinator soon to be head coach in the nfl so I mean, he is unbelievable, and the way that he's been able to, you know, take what he has on defense. You said patchwork. That's a really good word for it because it's really not. They have, you know, a few pieces here and a few pieces there and a few pieces there, and they kind of all work together. Um, and sometimes they're good and sometimes they're not. But I think by having a stellar defensive coordinator in Matt Patricia, they're able to get the best out of that. Yeah, definitely, and and I think that there's some some things that that uh, that Philly has a clear advantage in. If you look at the the two Super Bowl losses that that Brady's endured in his career, they both came with the the hands of the New York Giants and, and some of those just uh, you know incredible defensive lines that that the Giants had. Uh, the Eagles' defensive line is not far behind that. You wrote, I, I saw your piece about about Brandon Graham, uh, Timmy mm-hmm. Jernigan, Fletcher Cox. Uh, Chris Long, uh, Derek Barnett. You know, the the you have any time that you that you start mentioning guys in a defensive line, and there's more than four of them. That means yeah. that you could start rotating uh, guys in, and and that's that's key. You saw Jacksonville wear down because their defensive line uh, just didn't have the steam at the end of that game. 
So it's 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 going to come down to I think can can Philly sustain these productive drives? Can you get past the fifty and and you know make sure that that you're not giving New England good field position um, and get, yeah. get points? Uh, and then also, can you can you keep your defensive line rotated and and um, and fresh throughout that game and, and consistently right. put pressure on Brady? Because when it when it gets to that fourth quarter and he's basically just playing, you know, essentially flag football where you have a seven second count or something like that. Uh, he's he's going to carve you up, especially you know uh, the Eagles' def- secondary is is what it is. It's 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 nothing right. nothing special. So uh, it, it's going to come down to that defensive line and then the running backs. I think you have an a, incredible opportunity with uh, you know kind of the uh, earth, wind, and fire almost of of Legarrette Blunt, Corey Clement, and Jay Ajayi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that Legarrette Blunt and I I wrote a I, I saw an article the other day about. LeGarrette Blount, and they asked him about, you know, how he felt about going against the Patriots, and was there any bad blood, or was there any, you know, uh, are you still friends with any of the guys on the team? And I, I wrote a little article about it on Sports Talk Philly about LeGarrette Blount and what he said, and he pretty much said, ain't no homies, ain't no friends, uh, you know, we, uh, he's in straight enemy mode, you know, I don't care about the Patriots, last year was fun, uh, but this year is this year, and I'm an Eagle, so... Um, I think that LeGarrette Blount, who has had kind of a quiet year all year uh, round, where this has been probably one of the least productive years of his career. Uh, last year with the Patriots in the regular season, he had 18 touchdowns. This year he had two. Mm-hmm. Um, where he, And some of those were uh, good runs, and some of them uh, you know, he was uh, kind of setting up for Ajayi um, to get into those situations. I think that if he goes up again, I think he's going to play a great game in the Super Bowl because I think that he's going to go up against his old teammates and be like, ha, I'm going to take you guys down. And, uh, I think he's going to play great. little insider, uh, action for, for, for Blunt as well. Um, just kind of know it, knowing that scheme and knowing, knowing what his role in, in, uh, New England was of just kind of this, this, you know, weed whacker at the end of the fourth quarter to, to, you know, take advantage of a tired defense. Uh, yeah, I mean, you saw Corey Grant for the Jaguars was able to make some plays. I think Corey Clement, uh, you know, obviously identical first names, but it's a very similar ability level to Corey Grant of just kind of that that scat back, make him cover. Um, t- to be honest, man, I, I I like the Eagles' chances. I think that the the five and a half point spread um, is is maybe a little too high. I think that you know when you mm-hmm. get into this, if you if you took the quarterbacks out of the situation and took the coaches out of the situation. Um, you know which roster would you want? I know that's a that's a big if, but I is I think, a is I think five he, and a half, sorry is five and a half uh, the line from like now? Is that what it is now? I know it opened at that. Let me check that real I, quick. I, I'm pretty sure it went down to four and a half. There you go. Yeah, I mean people are starting yeah, to catch so, on. There you go. Uh, but yeah, I mean which roster would you pick if you took Brady and Belichick and Peterson and Foles out of it? I think I think you'd pick uh, Philly in a heartbeat. So. Um, you know, that, that is, that is certainly a telling part of that game. And it's, it's, can you make it about everything other than Tom Brady and Bill Belichick? Yeah. And it's going to be, it's really going to be a close one because, uh, like you said, it's about the team for the Eagles. And I think you would probably take a lot of the players off the Eagles and put them on the Patriots if you were Bill Belichick. And because they're, you know, I think that the Eagles have the best overall team in this matchup, but then again, you got Tom Brady, you have that veteran experience that they've been there before. They're going for that sixth Super Bowl ring, which would put you up there with some of the best of all time. Um, and, uh, you know, add another one to his legacy is uh, to be one of the best uh, players of all time. 
Um, and that's kind of what you got there. I mean, you got Rob Gronkowski, who is really, really good. And I think that's going to be the key for the Eagles because you got to figure out a way to stop him. Uh, everyone has been wondering who's going to cover Gronk, who's going to cover Gronk. I don't even know who's going to cover Gronk because yeah. it, it's going to be a team effort because he's this huge behemoth guy who is just impossible to take down sometimes. And it doesn't even matter who you put on him. There's really nobody that matches up with him at all. Like right. Malcolm Jenkins might be the best guy that you could say that would match up against him, but he's he's short compared to him. He's not as big. He's not no. as he's, yeah. Yeah, it, it, and you heard uh, Tony Romo talk about it um, in in the the Jags game where once once Gronk went out with the concussion, it, it allowed Jacksonville to play man to man because you have to play zone when he's in the game to kind of have the opportunity to put two two bodies in his vicinity. Um, mm-hmm. So so it just he he's a guy that just makes you play differently. That's why I think you know it's it's gonna kind of come down to to that defensive line and kind of independent of of um, of the the Eagles secondary and who's who's covering who and just uh, you know you do you hope your best with with that. But if uh, if those four guys up front can put pressure on Brady, then uh, then the secondary is not gonna have to have too tough of a, of a job. Right. Yeah. Uh, so you were you were dead on with your your uh, Penn State prediction when I made you predict about the Fiesta Bowl. I don't remember what your what your specific score was, but you definitely had a, a, a Lions win there. Um, do it again. Uh, I'm okay with you picking <laughs> picking the the Pennsylvania team this time. Uh, what is your score prediction for uh, for the Super Bowl this Sunday? Uh, well, I see a close one, um, and I think that. Uh, but I I also see them both teams scoring over twenty. Um, I see it being a pretty, uh, not a shootout, but I see it being a close game. And I, I, I like the line, um, you know, four and a half, but I like it in the other direction. So I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go Eagles 28, um, uh, Patriots 24. Wow. So that's going to be my score there. I dig it. I dig it. I think, I think it'll be not, not too high of a scoring game, but yeah, definitely two potent offenses that, that, uh, can put some good drives together. So I, I like that. Um, I, I definitely support that. Let's, uh, let's get you to Vegas and put, uh, put the money line down for, for Philly, huh? Yeah. Let's see. I don't have a whole lot of money to work with, but maybe <laughs> we can get, I saw the, uh, the preseason odds for the Eagles, uh, to go to the Super Bowl were 40 to one. So if you put, uh, I think it was, if you put, uh, what was it? I forget hundred bucks on them or something like that. You get like, you get a lot, you yeah. get like four, you get four grand, I think at, right. uh, if, if they won the Super Bowl. So if you put a, a little bit more than that, you have a pretty good chance of uh, getting big money. And uh, some of my friends were like, man, I should have done that. I should have, should have, could have, would have, should have, should have right. done that. Yeah. There, you know that there's some, some guy in, uh, in McCungie Township who, who is stoked about, about, <laughs> yeah. about the ticket he, he punched there. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, briefly, before we get out of here, give me 30 seconds on how worried you are about, about uh, Washington product Mark Hill Fultz as a, as a Sixers fan. Because we talked in November, uh, yeah. right before Thanksgiving, and it was, I would say, like borderline alarming then. But with every passing Twitter video about his free throw, sh- free throw stroke, it just looks worse and worse. Yeah, well, the free throw strokes getting a little bit better, uh, but the jump shots not. Um, I'm I'm worried, uh, but I think at the same time you got to think about it. He's only he's 18. He's going on 19 years old. Um, he's young. Uh, he you know he has a future. I hope, uh, but you know I, I I'm worried a lot about him. Um, and I, I I honestly don't think he's going to play this season. I think he's going to be out for the rest of the year um, because I I just don't think he's there yet. And I think they want him to be, but 
you know, his shots is, is, is not there. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's his shoulder anymore. I think his shoulder is fine. I think it's just a mental thing. He just doesn't know, you know, how to shoot the ball the right way. And that is so concerning. Uh, some, someone I work with at, uh, at the paper said this to me. He said, uh, would you rather have, a, you know, uh, the injury be like a torn ACL or something like that or what he has in this mental thing? I said, I take the ACL tear because at least he has a chance to come back from it. Mm-hmm. Because this this is something that, you know, this early on in his career, like this could change him completely. And uh, this isn't good. I mean, uh, it's not a good situation. Um, and. You know, I think the worst part about it is you see him on the sidelines, you know, reacting to his team and 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 being there for his teammates and the way he puts up his arms in the air. He looks fine. He looks healthy. He looks ready to go. But I think when it comes down to it, he's just not he's not prepared. He's not ready to to get out on the court because he just doesn't have the confidence to shoot the ball the right way. Terrifying, terrifying, terrifying. stuff. Uh, for, for your number one overall pick that you that, oh, you, that totally. you traded up to get. Yeah, that, that's 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 probably the most disheartening thing because you 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 gave up a lot for him, and uh, there's that chance that it might turn into nothing, and uh, you don't want to have that kind of thing on Brian. If you're Brian Colangelo, this is the worst thing because it's like you're you're thinking about it. You're like, you know, I, I gave up all this for nothing. And uh, this isn't, and hopefully this isn't going to be the uh, you know the description of BC's uh, career as the general manager in Philadelphia because that that's just bad. Sam Hinkie didn't die for this. Uh, he did not. <laughs> he did not. Did not die for this hole. He's not even dead, but he definitely didn't die for this. Uh, my my theory on Fultz is put that man in Delaware. Just let him get runs. Let him feel confident again because uh, I just don't know how much. You know, being being filmed on a cell phone as you're in an empty gym practicing, you know, or you know, doing p- private reps and uh, yeah. for the Sixers can I'm not really sure. do for you. I'm not sure what he would if that's even possible. I know for some of the players, you can put him down to uh, the the G League, but I, I think there's some kind of like contract stuff that you'd have to work out. But I mean, that's a great idea. I mean, you put mm-hmm. him down in Delaware with the 87ers and let him play with those guys down there and. Uh, and put him in game situations and let him shoot it out. And if he gets in, in, in those game situations with, you know, everything on the line, uh, instead of just, you know, being in practice and not really going up against people. And apparently he's been really good in practice and uh, as the backup point guard. So he's been kind of, you know, helping out there. Um, and, you know, what we see what we see outside of the doors is different than what we hear is going on behind closed doors. Um, so, uh, which is kind of it's very concerning because you just want to know i mean i just want to is, is he okay is he you know how is he progressing mm-hmm. we see what we see on these tiny grainy uh cell phone cameras but uh you know is th- there's got to be more than this because this is it's just ridiculous at this point it, it, we're, we're, it we're going on february we're going on the all-star break and we still don't know what the heck's going on with this guy an injury that usually you know kind of works itself out you know a couple months in or a month in you know, at this point in the season, this is it's it's getting bad. Listen, I I follow the the G League on Instagram, and they post like their stats of the night of like guys who are performing. And every single night, there's like four G League point guards who put up forty eight and seven. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're just they're just better than everyone. You can't tell me that that Markel Fultz uh, oh totally do that. Feel, oh, and feel you... himself again. Uh, yeah, and then, like... and then get back to action. It was like James Young. They the uh, Sixers just got James Young. 
And uh, he's he was tearing. I think he was the league leader in points per game in the G League. And he put, uh, now he's on a two-way contract, and he goes into uh, played a couple games for the Sixers this year. And he didn't look anything like that. So you you get those like guys that put up 48 points, and then you put them in an NBA situation. They're awful. Imagine putting Fultz into a uh, G League situation where he has the, he's the number one pick. And maybe he could put up 40 points, and then you bring him back to the NBA, and maybe he can get back and, and, and uh, you know work and work his way into it. Yeah, it's it's. I think I'm with you there. It's it's purely mental at this point, and whatever you can oh, do yeah. to, to to fix that, uh, you got to try. And and I think just getting back and, and seeing the ball go in the net uh, in a game situation is is probably what's best for him. But we will we will uh, as Washington fans, we will definitely pay attention to the Sixers for yeah, that for reason. Sure. Um, and uh, thank you so much for, for coming on and talking Eagles. Uh, it's it's good to have allies out there for sure yeah. <laughs> against uh, the war against the war against evil here with the uh, the Pats. Um, so I appreciate Absolutely. you coming on. I'll, I'll be yeah, sure no to problem. plug plug your your articles. You got a great one on Brandon Graham. We'll put the one up on on uh, on Blunt yeah. as well. Uh, um, thanks a lot for coming on and yeah, uh, fly Eagles fly. Yeah, fly Eagles fly. Just uh, really quick, uh, Sports Talk Philly I write for, and we've been putting up stuff all week. If you're like, if you want to know more about the Eagles and you're just like kind of like trying to figure out more about this team going up to the Super Bowl, we're going to have stuff out all week. Uh, the article I did on Brandon Graham is like an underdog of the Eagles. We're doing like a series of all these different underdogs um, and uh, of, the, of the team that kind of have led them to this point. Um, so there's a lot more to come with that. Uh, and uh, follow me on Twitter at Josh Lake Talk. There you go. Shameless plug for my man Josh. Uh, some good stuff there. Uh, we will uh, we will anxiously watch that Super Bowl uh, in oh, yeah. hopes that everything we, everything we talked about uh, comes to fruition. So uh, thanks for coming on, Josh. Yeah, thank you, Brad, for having me again. That was the great Josh Liddick once again. You can find him at, at Josh Liddick Talk on Twitter. And Sports Talk Philly has you covered for tons of great stuff heading into the Super Bowl. Uh, thanks for listening, and there's more to come this week. Peace.